Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season four, episode seven, titled Layaway. Uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like this whole episode is just layaway for the future war that's about to come. Uh, yeah. we, we've put it down a, an installment. The first installment uh, was Dr. Sitter. The second installment is going to be Calamita. Uh, I don't know. Satchel was a fake second installment that we just also put that on a credit card. I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> it's uh, it, it felt to me like it was getting us to the place we need to go. Um, and, and I enjoyed watching it. You know, it's, it's like yeah. I, I'm invested in the story that they're telling. And so when a couple of episodes like the last one and this one come along and they're just kind of like moving things into place, I'm totally cool with that. I'm just watching it and, and kind of thinking like, okay, you know, where could all this be going? But also just enjoying my time with these characters. Yeah, it reminds me like if if uh, this episode was a stretch of The Godfather, this would be where Michael is picked up by... Um, I, I can't remember the the police chief and mm-hmm. his his mafia goon, and they they're driving him over to New Jersey, and then they do the U turn on the turnpike, and ooh, isn't that excited? And they they pull up to the diner, uh-huh. like you have to get you have to the, the, there's you have to get from from that point to this for the rest of the movie to happen, but like, and you got to make it interesting, you know, you got to have. Uh, Oh my gosh, where are they taking me? Are we going to Jersey? Oh, that's not what the plan was. Are we going to do a U-turn on the top and, and lose the tail? Like, yeah, I, I don't begrudge them for for trying to spice up these what are clearly very connective, um, the tissue type of episodes. Um, and there's a lot of strong performances and some good character work. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie, it, 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 since there's not a lot happening like actually happening it allows the episode to kind of really take its time on some of these other things yeah you know chris rock processing his uh uh i speak of laying away grief i guess like <laughs> you know uh he he's grieving for something that not, hasn't actually happened which i thought was interesting to watch someone do metaphysically you know yeah absolutely uh one of and one of the better the, parts i i think this episode is the first time I've seen Jason Jason Schwartzman in this show, and understood why he was picked for this role, I think like that mm. scene where he's explaining you know Satchel's death and stuff, it, he kind of hits that perfect tone between honesty and lie and like casual and serious. And I, I wasn't feeling him in previous episodes. This is Snake the first and one. Weasel, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He really, yeah. really finds that that guy. competent yeah, I'll, and moron, like you know. Because I do feel at the end of this episode, I I I do feel like um, those two Schwartzman and uh, I forget the guy playing Gaetano's name. Uh, they are just not. I don't think they're doing what the show thinks they're doing for me, and I worry that that's going to be a problem because I feel like they're telling the story of Gaetano as a caged beast being released. Huh. But they had really talked me into the theory that he was all talk, and he's yeah. just kind of like a like a like a bully that's made out of of, of paper, and he's going to wilt in any kind of adversity. Um, so it's like, I I don't know, I I don't I don't know if the, the the show wanted me to think that, but in the performance and the direction, they 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 absolutely did. So I don't know, but mm-hmm. that's the thing is like, um, you know, Noah Hawley has definitely had some twists and turns up his sleeves um, in previous Fargo's and, and other ep- uh, the sh- shows I've I've seen him do, like uh, Legion. I've seen him paint himself in the corner. I didn't think he'd get himself out of. Um, 
So so we'll see. Um, he clearly, with the kind of cliffhanger at the end of this episode, he clearly thinks what he's doing is clever as fuck. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you know, because we're the audience kind of like on Chris Rock's uh, henchman, Opal's side. Like, gee whiz, boss, I hope you're doing right, because it seems like you're just... You're just uh, d- like almost throwing your hands up in the air, not giving a fuck about what happens. Um, gotta yeah, be and, too fatalistic. You know, I, I mean, obviously, Loy is is smart, and we'll probably talk about this more. But it feels like a tennis match where, you know, yeah. he he doesn't have like a great return shot here, but at least he got it back over the net. <laughs> it's like, and now it's your problem to deal with, right? Because we we know that New York right. is is a bit of a problem for Josto. Um, because right. Gaetano is a problem, and he tried to use uh, Loy to wipe that problem off the board. Turns out Loy's too smart for that, um, and he He's just sent the that. problem back, right? But also, maybe there was a third way that he could have that 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 would have been been better than just kind of like the double reverse. I, like I said, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing because it, it seems like it's not just that. There's something else that's going on that's that's going to make him seem clever in retrospect. But it, yeah. it's not going to involve Swanee and uh and, and um, Zelmer unless how tricks he going to be? Like, did he say that in front of Weff just so he knows Weff would go back and it would get to them? Like, yeah, I, there yeah. could be some some fourth dimensional chess being played by Cannon Cannon's crew. Uh, I, I was we... uh, a little bit nonplussed by some of the other connective stuff. Like, I- I'm still looking for where Mayflower connects to all this. Um, I think I see the connection on. there now. Okay. I think I um, see that. I have some ideas to where that might go, but we can talk about that in a minute. And also, uh, Ethelreda stuff. I don't even know what purpose it's really serving at this point. It's just kind of keeping yeah. that story alive it, so you don't forget yeah, and about ki- it. And connecting her to Lemuel, I think, is going to be there's going to be a little Romeo Juliet kind of action going on here. Yeah, um, clearly she, you know, thought he was cute or whatever, and was nervous and it's, about it's, it. It's another, it's another tie to outlaw culture, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, uh, her her being her own person versus fitting into one of those slots. Okay, Jim. With our initial thoughts out of the way, perhaps we get down to business. And I thought we could um, serve some of this the short term business up front. Uh, for example. Nurse Mayflower. Okay. Uh, she bakes up some macaroons for Doctor Harvard. Uh, uh, does she? Does she? Which, which? Well, I, I want to talk about that in a minute. Which, um, I, you know, I ha- I was really hot for this theory that you're going to find out that Doctor Harvard actually uh, is not a doctor, and you know, he's essentially like a doctor senator situation, uh, uh, where his mom gave him the last a prestigious last name. I don't think it's going to happen because the man died this episode. She poisoned him with a uh, Mac, a quote unquote macaroon. Right. Are they suggesting that this self-adhesive gauze adhesed into his windpipe and also comprised? Like, what was the poison that went into this macaroon? I don't know. I mean, I like I didn't even notice that there was like a specific thing going in other than it was it's self-adhesive gauze. Ugh. And I'm like, surely they're not indicating that this can be simultaneously the most delicious macaroon this guy's ever had in his life and also have enough self-adhesive gauze to strangle him in his windpipe. Uh, <laughs> like, um, yeah, I, I kind of rather they not showed anything than self-adhesive gauze. Like, cause I would buy that she's got a she's got a closet yeah. full of nightmares that she could put in there. 
that can stop a man's windpipe within 30 seconds of eating it. Self-adhesive gauze? I don't know. <laughs> well, I that was know, the experience I had with it. I, I didn't even notice the self-adhesive gauze. Uh, even though I watched this twice. I, if you had, it'd taken you right out of the scene, wouldn't it, Jim? It, it would have, yeah. But as, as, <laughs> I, as I watched it, it was it was totally fine. I was I was in that camp where I just thought, oh, she's got some kind of poison in this thing. Cool. I do wonder what the hell it's supposed to be. Because like I feel like anything would act that fast, like, I don't know, what the hell, cyanide? You'd mm-hmm. also just be like puking up green foam or some shit like that. Well, but. See, the thing is, like, what is it? Uh, is it cyanide or strychnine or something that tastes like almonds? Like, isn't that the perfect fucking thing to put mm-hmm. into a macaron? You're right. You're right. Oh, oh, what's this exotic treat you're talking about? <laughs> yeah. we're, we're talking about macaroons, yeah. Jim. You're right. You're right. I, sorry, I mispronounced it, apparently. Okay, I I, I want to get to that. Con- I want to get to the, the macaroon controversy, but I also um, all the silly stuff aside about how she killed him. She killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the performance was like just very chilling. The way she, you know, as soon as he succumbs, she starts going through and immediately goes to what she's there for, which is to get her hands on this letter. Mm-hmm. Um, she then like goes up to him and like squats down and there's like this look on his face where she's she he realizes that she's wiping the crumbs off his face to kind of hide her crime and just how like business like she is about it and then performative and like trying out a few faces and screams mm-hmm. before she actually settles on one that's not really convincing yeah I, I, like, she's like really a dexter type she's a dexter type sociopath she doesn't oh, yeah. she i don't like like I don't think she understands that other people in the world are real and have feelings and affections. She just thinks she's just approximating to get maximum advantage and she thinks everyone else is too. I it's wild. It was wild, it's very chilling. And I love the Noah Holly straight from Legion psychedelic uh Dr. Harvard's dying and seeing her as this kind of um I don't know, like like very dark pastel angel of death with yeah. the wings and whatnot. That was a very cool very cool uh, visual. He doesn't usually get to paint with that kind of palette on on Fargo. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and uh, you know she gets kind of what she wants out of the letter, but kind of not. Right? She sees the exact text of it, but it's signed a concerned citizen, which I, I thought Ethel Rita had used a fake name. I guess she didn't use any name. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, obviously we've speculated that she's going to find Ethel Rita's journal in her closet of horrors, uh, and she's going to compare the handwriting because she now has that letter, right? So well, I I almost feel like there's an implication that Mayflower hasn't been in her closet since yeah. Ethel Rita left the thing there, and that I kind of makes sense that like she hasn't killed anyone new mm-hmm. or hasn't noticed it. Um, she did kill her patient last episode. Um, oh, you're right. And now she's cooked up a batch of self adhesive macaroons. Uh huh. For uh-huh. this doctor, so so she must have gone in the closet. Maybe she just didn't notice it. Hmm. How do you not notice something that's not supposed to be there there especially in your like little murder shrine like i figured that there's like <laughs> that stuff is all like laid out with intention right yeah oh you yeah know, that didn't seem like some haphazard like dragon's horde right this is a very mm-hmm. hannibal lecter cataloged collection kind of thing she seems that that's that type of precise malevolence um yeah yeah i don't know uh let's get into the macaroon controversy uh so macaroons are like a buttery coconut cookie mm-hmm. and what is the other thing and they're pretty like misshapen right they're generally like a roundish kind of cookie but 
you know, because they have yeah. chunks and, and stuff in them, they're not these perfect Shredded coconuts. Pristine, no. like pedophore esque type things. No, they look like haystacks. Right. Uh what she cooks is a macaron, which is a French Italian uh it's what she describes, right? She describes macarons, but she calls them macaroons. And mm-hmm. it's my opinion that Dr. Harvard knows this. That Dr. Harvard doesn't want to eat these macarons because they're not macaroons and he loves macaroons. And so when she brings him in and says, Hey, I made these macaroons for you, he's like, Ah, these aren't macaroons. And then she convinces him to try them and he tries them like he's never had such a delicious dessert before, right? That second bite he takes. It just oh, yeah, a glorious really... bit of acting. I mean, uh-huh, uh-huh. it's amazing. So in my opinion, like he's trying a, a brand new uh dessert for the very first time and his mind is blown by it because i don't think she makes like you said with the self-adhesive gauze in it it can't be the best macaroon he's ever had right i don't know no i you're 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 exactly right but on the other hand i had because i had this elaborate theory about him being kind of a fraud uh-huh. uh or or you know not fraudulent in, in in the same way that uh he's just trying to fit in like americans do right he's trying sure. to get ahead Mm-hmm. Um, by hook or by crook, that he kinda is the type of dude that you know might pronounce macaron macaroon it's because he is midwestern possible. and you know he's like read about these things in magazines, yeah. but and and maybe someone brought him back to him when they went to New York City once or when he was I don't I I I just I, it's fit into his kind of like character, but mm-hmm. you're right. If he was expecting a macaroon, mac, macaroon, and got a macaron, uh, and that also because yeah, it does explain his hesitance to eat it, you know. And I don't want to make her feel like she's an idiot and all, but I, but yeah. the thing is, is like he doesn't seem like the character that would hold back. Like if he wanted a macaroon and she brought him a macaron, he'd be like, Miss Mayflower, I think you've made the fatal mistake of making m- mistaking a macaroon for a macaron, and because he, he's never yeah. been afraid to like verbally pile driver and be casually cruel to her that way before so but i don't know we're gonna move let's move on from the macaroons because i'm sure people like jesus christ it's just a cookie uh i do want to say that like i does this does feel like the thing that's going to bring mayflower back into josto's orbit right yeah like he is this the latest of kind of things that he hinted about you know having an agenda with and you know she picked up on and she's going to you know, she had her own reasons to do it, um, but I think this is going to be the thing that brings her back into to Josto's orbit. Yeah, and, and didn't we see... Um, it's where their business intersects. Deffy eyeing uh, Josto as he was sitting outside the hospital looking at Harvard's window. Was it was it Deffy who was watching him? I didn't think so, but Deffy was definitely watching them... Uh, he's, they're definitely on the radar now cause he, he was, he was overseeing when, uh, uh, they were showing up to the club, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure uh, he's making the connection about how everything's connected here in, in Kansas city. Yeah. I can't quite remember. I, I thought that I thought that he was watching them outside the hospital too. And if that's the case, then, you know, it could, it could bring Deffy back into the equation. Uh, on that the was just so early on, too. yeah, that was just so early on, and he wasn't on to like the Italians weren't connected to his official martial business at all. Yeah, and that's the thing; uh, he seems to not care too much about other business, right? Like uh, this episode, he he lets 
Otis kind of do his own thing, even though he knows what's up. Like, I know you're working with these guys. Let me just give you some words of advice instead of hauling your ass in, because that's not his job, A. Um, And B, could you even do that? Like, Yeah, I do think he's kind of prone. Like, so... I don't think he's exactly like Raylan gives from Justified, who we said, like, you know, he just literally didn't care. Like, he comes into a bar and there's, like, a pile of machine guns and cocaine on the table. He's like, I don't give a fuck. I just want to know about my perp or whatever. I'm I'm looking for my my fugitive. Um, This guy does seem like he's willing to mix it up. Like, him Mm -hmm. going and and doing dueling mean mugs with uh, Gaetano in front of the the general store, right? Like, him saying well, what the hell you want to you want to go mount up and raid this place like I, I do feel like he is much more targets of opportunity for the lord kind of you know he's got a primary mission and that's the most important thing everything revolves around that but if he can bust a mafia organization and you know this upstart cannon organization in in the process of doing the other stuff boy that would make him feel real good yeah um anyway uh I think that wraps up the Mayflower business. Let's move on to Ethel Rita business. Very brief, but momentous. Uh, you know, Loy's crew is taking over the funeral parlor. He'd forgotten that, that he owns them, and, and uh, they're using it from some kind of staging operation, moving, looks like, liquor in and out of there. Uh, and Ethel Rita kind of stink eyes Loy's oldest son, Lemuel. Mm-hmm. But also, I, I, it's like a stink eye kind of attraction, and it's kind of, I get the feeling it's a little mutual. Um, but then, you know, Ethel Rita gets shy and she scampers off upstairs and Lemuel, uh, is menaced by the ghost of Mr. Snowman from a coffin. Yeah. Really? I, it's like coming out of nowhere. I was done with Halloween, but all of a sudden I forgot this is a spook show. Uh-huh. Uh, very well, very well shot and very creepy. And honestly had me kind of a little gripped up when Lemuel, uh, kind of saunters up there to go knock it on that coffin. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You don't want to knock on the coffin when it's a rocking because Mr. Snowman will eat your soul or some shit. Well, what are they trying to like, do the with it? It's been through enough. Are they? I don't know. Because like, I, I saying... speculated that this was like, oh, the 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 haunting of her blackness was like following her and her family through the years, <laughs> and like, but the, uh... but they're all like, but that's not going to pass, right? That's not something that like. Ethelreed is going to pass to Lemuel because he's black too. He knows as much as anybody. Yeah, and it doesn't it, it doesn't fit like the mental illness kind of thing that are or it's like a substance abuse thing. Unless maybe it is because they talked about Lemuel hanging around these gin joints where they're slinging heroin and whatnot. I mm-hmm. if this is uh, you know because um, Selmer kind of gives a little bit of a fried vibe to herself. It's like I, I, yeah. she's probably, probably, uh, you know, gone across the street as far as um, mind altering substances. I, I, I wonder, and they, they very much drink a lot. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I wonder if they're suggesting that's the only thing I can think that could be, and or if it's just a family curse, like if it's literally just contact with someone and it's a seven days the ring type situation, uh-huh. because. That's the only way he's possibly stalking Lemuel. Yeah. I I, I don't know. It's, and I don't know if Ethel Rita is like scampering off here because she knows that she's cursed and doesn't want to like affect this nah. cute boy that she sees or if she's just, you know, shy because he's cute and she doesn't know how to handle it. And like, 
I think it's a little bit know. because the the former, I just don't think she thinks she's cursed. Like, I still think like uh, even the, with uh, all that talk know, she, from Swanee and stuff. I really don't. I mean, because she came back from that and wrote the letter to or yeah. to to uh, to try to bring down Mayflower. So I think she still feels as her. She still sees herself as the heroine in her story. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I don't I don't I don't know. I I love it. I love that there is this like just fucking out and out ghost story in the middle of this gangster deal. I do love it. I think it's cool. Uh-huh. Just when I forget about it, he comes right back. Uh. So yeah, I'm I I don't know. It's it's uh. Again, for the for supposedly what I thought was the main character of this season, she has been really put in the back shelf of the refrigerator these last these last two episodes. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see if her business picks up in in, in future weeks. Uh, the Fada business. So we kind of start off the episode with Josto Josto finding the body of the guy that got shot. Um, I've already forgotten his name. The Camp Elegance uh, person. Uh, yep, he's got a name. He definitely got has a name. a name. He's got a name, but it's erased. It's erased now. The last like people it, that remembered his name and forgot him, he finally he, he <laughs> finally experienced that second death. You always hear it, talking about Dumini, Dumini, Domini. I yeah, there you go, old Dumini. Yeah, Dumini. Uh, he uh he so so he he's looking over this guy and Calamita's in his ear, just be like, "Told you, boss, that uh, that the uh, Irish was the traitor." And he choked up your sister, and he shot your other dude, and and uh, Josto's over it, and he sends Calamita on this mission to go to Loy's house, kill the Irish, kill the boy. You got to find them, um, which is all well and good. But then at, I, I thought he made a pretty big leadership faux pas at the end. You know what I'm talking about? No. What? They say, what should we do with this guy's body? And he says, leave him for the birds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like some of the guys are with kind of like looked at each other like that's some cold shit. You know, there's a certain fraternity that you're a La Familia, for example, that you're 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 uh, uh, really leaning on. And it's like one thing if there's no, you know, the cops are on the way and there's nothing that can be done. But just leaving yeah. this guy to have his eyes picked out by crows. Holy shit, that's cold. And it's also a little sloppy, too. Like, you think of all the gangster films you've seen, right? They don't just leave bodies sitting around. They hide the bodies. Yeah. They, they bury the body. Yeah. They take them out to the desert, right? They, like, you they drop run them numbers. in the river. Like, you want to run numbers. You want to run girls. You want to run racket. That's stuff that people can turn a blind eye to. You start dropping bodies, that's what eventually brings you down, you know? Yeah. Uh. So, I, I agree. But, again... The ultimate answer to everything Josto concerning is just, well, he's a terrible criminal. Sure. Yeah, he's not amazing. <laughs> and I don't know how satisfying that's going to continue to be, <laughs> but it, it remains a pretty good defense to the writing. For sure. Uh, we see the immediate impact when a Cal- uh, Calamita goes to visit uh, um, uh, Cannon's wife, Buell. And she's got this really smart organization going. She's uh, teaching the kids syntax. She's homeschooling them. Seems like they're all paying attention. Uh, And he comes calling and points out immediately the lack of guards and is very threatening and like, where are the children? How many children you've got? And uh, I just thought, I thought her scene here where she pulls this double, this, this sawed off shotgun on him and and gives this, uh, this cold smack about being a mama lion was amazing. I, 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 I I love Miss Cannon now. Yeah, I feel like any uh anybody right now can identify hard with uh with her because 
we got this pandemic going. So many kids are homeschooling at the moment, right? Doing this online training. And I get the impression that like the, the kids were going to the public schools, but since the war is on, they've had to be pulled oh, out, right? I was going to ask you that. It's like, what is the deal? Is it just the, like, uh, you know, uh, the schools for for black people in Kansas City are shit? So that like he's trying, they're, they're doing some private education or something. Or I mean, I'm sure I, they I are. Think, but no, that that makes a lot of sense. That like, yeah, like there are targets at the public school for sure. Like Lemuel was a target. Uh, yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, bad things in the air right now, and so they probably pulled them out. So. Why yeah, no guards, though? That's I, That didn't make sense. Like, I Man, I don't like, like this scene. I, I don't like it. I love her speech. Okay, I, I love her. I yep, hate everything I, else about this scene because Kalamita is this weak nothing of a hitman. Like, And I don't know if he's doing that intentionally because he doesn't want to go kill a bunch of people and he's not working for Josto. And, and and he knows that if he goes up there and starts killing a bunch of people, you know, Gaetano is going to get killed, who's the person he's actually working for. I don't know if that's the case because none of it has been said. Mm-hmm. And I I just get the impression that Calamita is an idiot who walked up to the door thinking, huh, no guard here. Weird. I'm just going to stroll in and and fig- like I, I can't even conceive of what he was going to do here. What is his plan? Knock on the I door gonna, and then ask yeah, how many kids in, are there. This, beat up this lady and, and push bully his way inside, which. Uh, but my, my thing is like, but why isn't she guarded? Why aren't there dudes on that front porch? Uh, because he had everybody dead. I, I it just feels like that. I want to believe that Loy's really smart and competent mm-hmm. and tough, and he seemingly commits so many unforced errors about like, oh well, we need all our dudes down in a fortress because we're going to entertain the. Uh, uh, the 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 Josto clan down there, but on the other hand, that's an obvious trap. Like, have one lone assassin go back to the house and whack everybody yeah. while you're taking this bogus bad faith offer from Josto. Like, I here's don't the other thing they might be doing. Get it? I don't get it. Yeah. So one of the the mantras, you know, that Gaetano was spouting uh, earlier in the season with the Italians, at least, is business, family, country. Right in that order. And it feels like Loy is protecting his business or his his other family, right? His business family more than he is his actual family. Um, mm. and, and this is all before he knows about Satchel, right? So he thinks the major going concern here is this war that's developing with the Fadas. He doesn't see Satchel as being in a huge threat at the moment. And so he he's pulled everyone that, That's off. a line that they won't cross. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. He maybe it thinks they're be. smarter just... than, than they are. <laughs> I could be. It still it felt a little bit like Loy got flat footed because if uh Calamita had been there with two dudes, uh that goes completely different, you know? Yeah, Calamita doesn't back nothing that he's supposed to do this episode. Like Right. It, Josto sends him in with orders to kill everyone you have to kill, including that's Zero, in my opinion. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's that's the thing where it kind of works is that like the Fadas are just a complete house divided. Yeah. But they're all fools and incompetence, it seems. And like. I can't so tell it's if like, it's a foolish move here or if it's yeah. if it's intentional sabotage, right? No, I, I do think I disagree with your take on Calamita. I think Calamita is a killer. Uh and is pretty proficient at it. I don't think he's very good strategically or tact or you know, or well. So I, why I doesn't guess, he yeah, go in here and kill? Like 
I I think you were right that he his he's not taking orders from Josto. He's okay. actually there trying to figure out whether his boss is still alive. Because I guess his thought is like, well, if Gaetano is dead, then they probably already killed Zero. You yeah. know, like he's trying, like he's trying to investigate more for like, where is Irish there, and and has he taken the kid, or like, or because because he's doing this investigation. I don't think it's for Josto though. I think it's for his own purposes. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I mean yeah, that, I, that makes some amount of sense. It, it at least like pieces some of that puzzle together for me because this was a but it's big really puzzle tough. Scene. It's it's really tough when you're dealing with uh, criminals that you don't fundamentally respect the intellect of because. Yeah. You know, they're so fucking random. It's kind of like I remember feeling this way about Bobby Cannavale in season three of uh, Boardwalk Empire. It's like, this guy's mm-hmm. so insane. It's kind of fun and interesting, but it also makes trying to figure out what the hell's going to go on completely pointless because he's not a rational actor. It's like, he's you know, the wild hey, card. is Joe Pesci going to laugh until he's blue in the face? Is he going to cut your face off in Goodfellas? I don't know. Like, it's like, yeah, who cares? It's like, it's a coin flip. So, um, we did have a scene which I thought had a, some some pretty nifty camera work of Calamita casing Irish's room and kind of like you know investigating it like a private detective, and he finds his personal Bible, and of course, wouldn't you know, there's a clue to be followed up there. Uncle Jack's um, seed and feed and seed. What caught my eyes is based in liberal Kansas, which is not too far away, of course, from Kansas City. Um, but it's 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 so I and I immediately stood out when I'm like, well, this is very the material is very political in nature this year. And, and it's 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 liberal Kansas. I'm going to look up to this. And liberal Kansas was founded by a settler by the name of Mr. Rogers. Oh, I'm not Jesus. fucking making this up. <laughs> um who became famous in the region for giving free uh, water from travelers from his well. If, if people were thirsty, he just gave them, and, and people, um, I guess he decided to name the town because people would say, that's very liberal of you to, to share your resources with us like that. Uh, he went on to found the first uh, general store and the post office in liberal Kansas. Hmm. Um, so like I said, being that this is, you know, there's a, there's a political bent to this story, I think um, it's kind of interesting that uh, Irish is tied to this kind of liberal Kansas um now what the fuck is he literally going to be hiding out at uncle jack's feed store in liberal kansas because if he is i don't fucking know what to do or say this <laughs> this seems like beyond stupid but it's clearly a clue yeah. what 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 what's happening here what's happening here jim i don't think there's any way around it he's going to go out to uncle jack's feed and seed and he's gonna find rabbi and satchel i mean sometimes you can get away with this like the entire first Mission Impossible movie revolved around this goddamn Bible and this quote and this code from like, you know, CompuServe message boards. And I defy anyone to this day to explain to me exactly how any of that plot connected in any kind of satisfying way. It's just a way for Tom Cruise to private dick his way into the third act. And I kind of feel the same way about this Calamita business, except for there wasn't a little layer of biblical codology uh, laid yeah. on top of it. It just literally, oh, look at this, Uncle Jack. But we'll see. I mean, it's we'll in see. a Bible. Maybe it'll be a wild. I don't know. How much more biblical do you need it to be? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it'll be a wild. Maybe it'll be a wild seed chase. I don't know. I don't know. Because yeah. I'm. I, I, eh. So anyway, 
Um, and then we also have the dissolving frame from this scene into the next scene of Josto, where it's Gaetano being, he's chained up and he's being tortured and he's just nursing this hatred and this grudge towards his brother, which would land a whole lot better if I respect this guy's ability as anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I don't, I it's, I don't under, I, I don't, I'm not buying the story about him being this caged beast about to be unleashed, Jim. I really don't. Even though he's talking about the people he killed, huh? Well, we assume. You know, yeah, maybe it's a lot easier to kill a man chained to a wall when you got the full force of like the Italian fascist apparatus behind you than it is to like, you know, win in a fair fight versus intelligent opponents. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess I guess for Uh, all we know, he's like talking about episodes of Italian Bonanza or something like, oh, these are these are all the favorite moments where my characters died. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this is the Italian Hitler comic book I used to read, and it's it's uh, yeah. it's just completely delusional. So we cap off the uh, Fada business by Josto arriving at uh, the cannon's uh, heavily fortified headquarters. Uh, you know, Deffy described it as a, a fortress mm-hmm. earlier in the episode, and he, there's rolling force like a bunch of dudes, thirty, forty dudes show up here, and the cannon boys are not plussed by any of this stuff. They say, you know what? Uh, everybody stays out except for the consigliere and, and Josto, Evil and Josto. So mm-hmm. they come in and Evil opens up and he's doing pretty well. He's trying to explain like how the political calculus is and like, you know, Gaetano, he's this and he's a, he's a made man. And and then every single time he tries to make a point, Josto comes in there with like, oh, you, this, this is some people can't be killed. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know about all that. <laughs> It's great. Like I, dev- I love him in this. Scene. Yeah, it's effective, but he's good at being this thing. But is this thing good? I, I think because... it is in this scene because you need Lloyd to be able to figure out that he's lying. And I think not like not just lying, but stupid and stupid. And thinks yeah. that Lloyd's stupid. Right. He's underestimated him certainly. Um, I think yeah, like Jason Schwartzman's performance in this scene is exactly what it needed to be for me anyway. Because um, I believe that Loy would both take that initial punch in the face very seriously, right? That uh, that emotional gut punch of his son being dead, but then also have you know once he gets a, a moment and some distance away from that fact, be able to think about that conversation and go, you know, that doesn't quite make sense, and and maybe this guy is full of shit. It, it Jason Schwartzman rode that line for me in a way that mm. started to. It make me turn the corner on him in this season. My problem is, is that like, I feel like Josto comes out of his room thinking, man, I just that whew, I'm fucking, I don't even know what this reference is. Cause it hasn't been invented yet, but I'm Littlefinger in game of Thrones, baby. <laughs> I am a yeah. master manipulator. I have absolutely divided my opponent's forces. I've solved all the problems. I've squared things with New York and I've done it without shedding any of my own blood. If he really believes that, he's out of his goddamn mind. Like, uh, I yeah, mean, no, he's a buffoon. He's he's not very smart. <laughs> not as like, smart as he thinks he is, anyway. Like, here's the thing. Like, at the end of this episode, I feel like that, um, uh, you know, Noah Hawley's convincing me that Lloyd Cannon's got this in the bag. That he's got this mastermind plan. I really think Chris Rock could bend over, spread his butt cheeks, and fart and just win. Like. <laughs> I don't think these guys can fight their way out of a wet paper bag, man. I think yeah. that like 
He he's not even going to need he's not even going to need a, 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 a old boy out of Fargo. Like he's just going to be able to take him on himself. It's uh, with with Doctor Sinister six feet under. It don't matter. Yeah, these guys are just too fucking dumb to live. That is fair. They have shown me zero strength from the Italian side of this equation. Um, you know, the only strength has been coming from the Gaetano Calamita and really just Calamita side of it. And yeah. I don't like, like, you know, he's a free agent at this point. Like, I don't, I don't know what his deal is. He's just doing whatever he wants. Uh, right. And probably loyal to Gaetano. But if, yeah, I don't know. Now Gaetano's out. So we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, what they get up to now that they're paired back up. Yeah. Presumably. Yeah. Well, we will definitely see because, like I said, I, I don't know what I'm going to think if Gaetano comes out, Madman. You know, just just single handedly taking down the the Fada organization. Um, yeah, I mean, he's probably gonna. I, I don't know what Joe Bulo's role is gonna be in this. You know, mm. they sent him in. Uh, they got some New Yorker guys who are ready to to go uh, if they can take care of this business quickly. And you know, plus Mister Snowman, Mister Snowman's in that coffin, and he's haunting black folk. Maybe that's that's the only way these. Oh idiots, yeah. Uh, this, this, the only way this idiot gang's going to win is if the supernatural comes and starts putting the kibosh on the cannons. Yeah. Like that's that's it. That's it. You you're, shouldn't you're have moved right. in on this. You, you picked the wrong goddamn funeral parlor to move in on, Loy. Uh-huh. Now you've got the spirits of the dead against you. What are you going to do? Um. So, yeah, that, that uh, pretty much concludes. And the, the other thing about this, just to underline it, is evil cannot but he's out of it he's having an out of body experience this entire conversation yeah seeing what his boss is trying to pull and i'm happy that they didn't have him go further with that you know him saying boss is like it says everything it says everything you need to know about what's going on there yeah yeah it's 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 i was aghast with him at what i was seeing happening yeah so uh, there's a little bit of connective police business I think we can do now. Uh, I'm gonna. The Wef is underneath the bridge. He is trying to get the courage to go rush into Loy's place, hmm. um, or maybe he is. He needs to report back to him the fact that he wasn't able to do his mission. Um, either way, Deffy Marshal Deffy decides to to slide in and essentially blows up blows him up. Uh, says, I know that you are as crooked as any cop in this town and you've been working both sides and you're kind of declares himself as an enemy, right? Yeah. Yeah, but not one who's going to like move in, you know, who's going to make any moves. He just, he says, what's up? Do you think he leaves Kansas City without squaring things with De- with with Weff though? That's the thing that I I don't think Weff thinks that because he yeah. goes to pack his bags after his confrontation. But um, that that line where it's like it's like you know if I knew where your Mormon God was, I'd drive through the night and stab him in his fucking eyes. And <laughs> that's declaring war. And I don't think you want to declare war with this guy. I really don't. No, no. He's all too serious of a character. Yeah, I mean, he's but, the uh, guy who will, you know, tie people to the back of his car and drag them through the streets till their heads pop off. Like, yeah, yep. And it's like, you know, this thing is like, be careful how many sides you play. Even a gold coin that has two faces. To be fair, Wef is not, you know, <laughs> he has not divided his sides willingly. You know, no, he's they, not they playing anything. Up, so. He's being played. Yeah. Um, there's a really interesting thematic point here that uh, after Daffy steps out of his car, uh, uh, 
Otis Weff slaps himself, not as customary five times, but six. Yeah. I didn't the make sixth anything Indian has of been this. deployed. You didn't? No. Like, I, I saw people talking about it. I'm like, I don't care. It's not that maybe there's not something there. I just don't care. Like, <laughs> All right. Fair enough. It's so minor. Fair enough. It's so fucking minor. And and Weff is not a character who's like consequential at any at any point during any of this stuff mm-hmm. so far. So, yeah. And there's like if they're if they're trying to it's I just think it's further underlining, you know, his fracturing. But they're also sure. doing that like he's noticeably more jumpy. This is, yeah. uh, you know, all of his various um, uh, a neurotypicalness is like coming together and converging with his highly stressful situation to cause him a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, he has this fantasy sequence where he's I'm not sure if this is an imaginary thing or if it's a flashback to something that real happened, but his fiance, you know, cradling his head on her lap while she sings this hymn to him. Um, and he wakes up from it and decides to just go rabbit, packs up his bag, packs up his Alpine shepherd boys, mm-hmm. uh, and, and blows out of there just to be snatched up by Loy's gang. <laughs> yeah. Which I knew was coming, but I liked how it, how it happened. I knew it was happened. I just didn't know who it was going to be. I didn't know yeah. if it was going to be Deffy's shadow, uh, Calamita's shadow, or one of uh, you know Loy's Loy's dudes' shadows. And when but, he tries uh, to play it tough, and he's like, "No, I don't get in your car. You get in my car." And they're like, "All right, fine by me." <laughs> they all pile in. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have a white dude drive us or escort us around town. That'd be just nice. Mm-hmm. And the whole like, you can't just sneak up on police officers. Gotta gotta even nod somehow. Yep. Uh, this, they're they're a bunch of characters. That's that kicks off the canon business. Um, start off with Leon. <laughs> uh, Loy calls it calls it trying to shit his bed <laughs> all the way to the top. All the way to the top. Yep. You're trying to shit your bed up to the top. I, I love I, it. It's love it. I have never heard that expression in my life. It's amazing. I love it. It's perfect. It evokes the image of like him sleeping in a crib almost, right? Like he's a child <laughs> shitting the thing all the way, all yeah. the way full. Yeah. Yeah. Can't crawl out of it himself. <laughs> he's just got to shit his way to the top and roll off. Um, oh my God. <laughs> and I do think this is a deliberate reference to his uh, Pootie Tang. Have you seen Pootie Tang? No. Oh my God. Pootie Tang is this low budget thing that he did with, I think, am I imagining this or Louis C.K.? Like in the mid '90s, and it's just like um, it was like a parody of a black exploitation film with this hero called Pootie Tang, who was mm. given this mystical leather belt by his daddy. And legend was, if he always used this this belt in a me- in, in a righteous manner, he could he could whip anyone's ass with it. <laughs> oh boy! Okay. And Chris Rock laying into Leon was channeling the power of Pootie Tang. I do. I think anyway. Huh. Um, uh, so. I, 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 it's a great scene. Like, um, I'm not sure what they're trying to say with this. Um, cause you know, Leon, it comes out, uh, I, I, I guess he is an important part of the black crime syndicate in the Midwest. Yeah. He's like the nephew of, of somebody, right? Somebody important yeah, that like, they're going to need. Yeah. 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 Exactly. He's like, he's like the, he's like cheese in the wire, you know, like he's the nephew of uh, proposition Joe. Okay. It's like Proposition Joe's a solid guy, but his cheese, cheese is kind of a fuck up. Uh, mm-hmm. and and you get that you get that feeling from this guy. Um, and Lloyd's just not having it. Where, what, what's this guy's arc? 
I don't know, because every time we see him, he's talking about the brains he's got. And I don't I don't know that he's been given an opportunity to show the brains, but he's certainly been given an opportunity to show donkey brains. Um, and he does that by, you know, taking a Lemuel to the club and letting him yeah. do his thing. Put him in a position where the man can pinch him, yeah. Yeah, so we've seen that he's not like super smart. And and you knew this was coming, right? Like they they did that delayed sort of gratification with uh mm. the talking to that Leon was gonna get from uh Loy. Mm-hmm. And and here yeah. it is. <laughs> oh yeah, it definitely came. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, part of this is just the anger that he feels over Dr. Senator being dead. Part of this is because he's I guess gotta put this kid in his place, let him know that he's not as as much of a brainiac as he thinks yeah loy is very sensitive to dr senator's name being in people's mouths that should not are not worthy to speak at this episode which i kind of yeah. I, I really liked um then the phone rings and i love like you know uh you know loy cannon like out of breath from whipping this guy's ass like on the phone and saying you can meet him i, I presume this is josto setting up the meet right yeah yeah and the whole mystery you, you better believe is going to cost you. I guess we didn't mention the stakes of that meeting that like the offer was the stockyards and two lucrative uh, routes. I think one to Chicago, one to Dallas mm-hmm. uh, for Gaetano straight up or to kill Gaetano. Yeah. Um, so, to kill Gaetano instead of killing uh, Zero. Right. Like that, that's yeah, the cover and, there is and, and, t- and take this lesser zero, death. Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know. Does, does Josto think he can sell that to New York? I. But the thing is, is that's the thing. Is it doesn't matter because Josto's a fool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's like a really great. I think I think Chris Rock did some really good performance here with um, these flashbacks. It reminds me of like Michael Corleone being haunted by the death of his brother. Yeah. You know, like so, like at the end of The Godfather too, just thinking about all that stuff. Except for like Lloyd's uh, apparently much more affected by it. Mm-hmm. Um. And he's playing through all these promises he made to Satchel and Satchel not wanting to go through this. He there's this really powerful scene where he's like psyching himself up to strangle this kid with a fucking jump rope, uh-huh. which Dark. like, yeah, Chris Rock was going had that gear to him, too. Um, no, it's a it's a dark Christmas, man. That is that is rough. Like, I love that shot with him sitting on the couch, the Christmas lights behind him, just illuminating the background and him almost in complete darkness there uh, mm-hmm. as he contemplates what to do. Yeah. It's great. Do we want to, do we want to second guess Loy as a criminal? Because the other thing I want to talk about is like, it doesn't seem smart to let evil and uh, Josta walk out of that room. Like, it mm-hmm. feels like at this particular, like one of those dudes had to die, probably evil. Like that's eye for an eye, right? You know, you take out my consigliere, take out yours. <sighs> Maybe I, I don't know. Like the, the speech he gives later um, about them trying to drag yeah. you down, you know, it turn you into, uh, get, get you in the mud with them, is right, is very much on his mind and is is very much why I think he shows the restraint there, because he knows that like that's a, that's a move that you don't come back from, right? Then he goes to war with New York. Then he goes to war with anybody who's left in that organization. Um. Yeah. It might be like a justified move, but it is definitely not the right move if he wants to stay alive and keep his business. Yeah, it's 
man, it's just really interesting to try to play like the, the, and I always think about this in terms of criminal organizations where it's like, you know, if you've got, um, you know, kind of like, uh, the best you can hope for case, like, uh, you know, the old, the, the, uh, uh, old man Corleone, you know, before Michael took over Mm -hmm. Vito, like he's like this, uh, almost a benevolent Duke, you know, he looks over his neighborhood and yeah, some people get killed, but you're not going to get killed if you're not in the game. He's going to look after you and you're going to get a Christmas goose, uh, delivered to your doorstep and everything's fine. Because this guy, because he's got lines, you know, he's not going to do drugs. He's not going to murder children. Yeah. But then every once in a while, you might have to. And like, it feels like when 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 criminals are cons- given that choice, like, you know, it's like, well, are you going to become a monster? Or you're not. There's like two ways you can go. Like, well, I'm not going to do it. In which case, eventually someone that will that's not as good as yeah. you is going to take over. And then what happens? So then you can rationalize. Well, like, yeah. I'll murder this child because. I'll at least feel bad about it and I'll minimize it. And if I let the real animals take over, then what happens? But how many times can you do that before you turn into, you know, it's just, and then <laughs> I mean, you got this, yeah, obviously we, we deal with this stuff in the modern day, right? Nothing has changed. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's how we play our political games. Now it's how we play our business games. It's how we play our crime games. All that stuff is the same, and and all of it is is yeah. not not even a slippery slope. It's like it's an arms race, right? You have to do the things that other people are doing, otherwise they beat you, and they do the things ten tenfold. So, and it all seems very rational. Like I, you know, I, I, every time I read up to like to the buildup of World War One, and I'm like, well, what would I done differently? You know, like, yeah. and and almost the only answer is, well, cooler heads should have prevailed this time, but like. You know, when when you just get in this <laughs> runaway brinksmanship, it's like, you know, and, and you're like, well, if you show this whole thing's based on shows of strength. So if you if you do show that that weakness, then it's yeah, you I almost you almost need to have a balance of power that somehow doesn't uh, is unable to get out of whack. Right. Like I think about uh, the Cold War and, and using nuclear missiles or the potential threat of that. Um yeah, like a higher power prevents us from doing it, literally. Right, mutually assured <laughs> destruction. Like, if if uh-huh. we go there, they're going to go there, and it's going to be game over forever. Metaphysical certainty that you cannot win is the only thing that will save you. Right, right. Man, the, the thing is, like, the smart people to see the balance of power are quick to be deposed by the foolish that don't yeah. and see the value of the balance. But... um. It's wild, and I really appreciate Chris Rocketing to do this, like really paint with this palette because um, I was really impressed with the work he was doing with the with the death of Satchel, and I wonder what they're going to do with this energy they built that's based on a lie. You know, like yeah. when Satchel's revealed, like what is that going to be like for Chris Rock? And mm-hmm. man, it's there's just some exciting dramatic storytelling um, p- uh, potential that they've they've built by spending 20 minutes building this emotional pressure that doesn't get relieved. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, what if Calamita goes out to Uncle Jack's feed and seed and rather than putting the kibosh on a little rabbi and Satchel, he brings Satchel back to Loy. Does that just like totally fuck Josto, which is kind of what he would want to do? Yeah. But <laughs> I, I don't. The thing is, I don't is know like that's that's an interesting play, but like 
Yeah, was what's Gaetano think about that? I, 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 although like you're just what you just said makes me think like I can see a world where Calamita is the boss. Like I've been thinking it's going to be or Gaetano. How can he get beat? Like if the word oh, gets man, back Gaetano. to New York about that, like that, Gaetano, that totally I can't him. accept because because like he's just a tear. But like, but yeah, Calamita, yeah. like I, I, I think he is smarter mm-hmm. about the way he plays politics. Maybe not as smart as he need him to be. I don't know. I don't know. I feel bad. Like I don't. I don't want to con- contemplate where uh, a world where the stupid people win. Yeah. Even though that does happen from time. Yeah, to time. I don't know that they can beat Loy, right? I, I think Loy is smarter than the the whole lot of them. But yeah, I think I think the Calamita could throw a monkey wrench into Josto's plans with New York and end up with either himself or Gaetano as the boss there in Kansas City. Yeah, and there's always the thing to consider the theory that Satchel is Mike Milligan, if that's true, and Mike Milligan's mm-hmm. high ranking in the Kansas City Mafia, then it implies some kind of, if not victory by Cannon's people, some fusion that comes out of this. It's not going to be, yeah. you know, all one way or all the other. But, yep. uh, yeah. Um, I thought that they did a really good job of building up the tension, the emotional tension leading the Chris Rock or not Chris Rock, the Lloyd Cannon telling his wife about it. And like, you know, her primal scream. I thought that was really, really well done. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's also this amazing scene where uh, Cannon's being driven around um, uh, to, to go meet with Wef and he has him pull over because he sees this sign of the banking establishment rolling out the diners club, the first, mm-hmm. the first credit card. And just this, <sighs> I, I, he's been a sleepless night and just like, I like days uh, like that. Yeah. If you want a dictionary definition of bone tired <laughs> world wary, it's, it's Chris rock yeah. in this scene. I felt it. I felt it like just the, just like, fuck man. Why, why even try anything? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know where that goes. I don't know if that's just like, you know, a, a knife in his side, uh, just something to to really just dig at him, or if that's going to go extra somewhere. Fi- extra fire in the belly, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. For if, if for if nothing else, mm-hmm. uh, then we're in uh, the Cannon's uh, boxing gym, and the Wef has been you know hauled off as we as we talked about in the police business. And uh, Zalmer and Swanee kind of blow through. They have a nice little scene where they just intimidate the fuck out of, of poor Jumpy Wef. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, like I said, there's some really good dialogue where Swanee gets to talk about how old she is and her native tongue. And uh, they talk about the nature of being a girl and being wanted. Um, but then Loy comes in there. And again, I think this is part of the plot. Like he tells Wef to cover his ears. Wef is going to hear everything that they're saying, right? That's got to be intentional. Probably. Like, I, I think that, that Cannon's counting on him to inform, you know, his various bosses and people about this plan, specifically to draw out maybe this marshal. I think Loy sees this marshal as like a wild card, and he wants to rain. And he also the thing that's like really putting pressure over his man, Wef. I, I, I think I think this is going to be a trap for him, seems like to me. I, I hadn't read that much into it. Um, but I could see that. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I could see a lot of things because clearly they, they want us to think Loy's got a plan and it's a very smart one. And it's one that the audience hasn't quite yet figured out. 
This has got to be a part of it, I think. And I think they'll they'll definitely play their part, too. I love uh, Swanee's remark about it's been a sad parade. <laughs> it sure <laughs> right? has. She's about, ready, she's about ready to blow out of town. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, I, you know, Chris Rock gives another. I think he's given six of these speeches so far this season. Well, he's given four. Dr. Sinister's given two. Mm-hmm. Um where he talks about like you know, he tries to explain to a white person the the struggles of a of a black man in the country and and the trap the trap where like you try to tell a person they're an animal and they're not human but you stand tall like a man and eventually they get they give up and they get in the mud and they show you how to be like that and then if you get down in there with you then they stand up and then say see you're exactly what we thought you were yeah it's a hell. It's a hell of a speech. Uh, mm-hmm. I do wonder, like, what is, what what is the because because we're getting like one of these uh, an episode, and they do like some of them feel like I, I remember in that first episode where it felt like um, it was definitely um, like an art, like a like a, a an argument, a, a frame of argument from like a like a arguing for something from a conservative um, point of view, which you don't hear a lot in Hollywood. What uh, is that? Can can you explain that? Because I don't know that I'm familiar with what you're well, that about. speech he gave about like the the drug addict, where he said, you know, see this oh, man, yeah. he doesn't have a future, but if you give him money, he's got a future, and now I can take it away from him. All that, like that yeah, was, I, I felt like a, an economic uh, argument from a very fundamentally conservative point of view. Hmm. Um, and I think this, like, uh, this is the argument against, like, well, you know, uh, the whole thing about black people is like they just like, you know, why don't they just fucking integrate into society? You know, uh-huh. if they would make an effort, if they'd make an effort. Yeah, and this boot, is the argument. It's like, well, that, right? <laughs> no, I mean, like, you know, look at the civil rights marches like those people. And I think I've said it in, on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at those pictures, like these are not like these these people looked like uh Ozzie and Harriet and Warden June Cleaver they're in their church the Sunday going best and they got their smart hats and their suits and they're getting the fuck beat out of them by mm-hmm. white people with batons and 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 fire hoses and 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 dogs you know look at Lloyd's gang versus Cannon's gang uh or sorry Lloyd's gang versus jo- 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 Josto's gang mm-hmm. they are pretty as other than the the color of the skin they're largely indistinguishable as far as their clothes and all of that yeah. You know, fast forward in 2020, you, you know, look at Russian gang versus like, a, you know, Bloods and, and the Crips versus, I don't know, the remnants of the mafia. It's all diff- <laughs> it's all over the place. But like, sure. I, 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 I think this is like this argument is blowing that up. And that's why I keep on saying, like, I feel like there's something in all these speeches that they're dismantling a certain type of like, well, you know, we've moved past race type of argument in America by showing it happening in the past. When mm-hmm. it's like it's it's hard to find a person saying, well, in 1950s America, there was no racial component to any of this stuff. It was all colorblind. Right. So I, I don't know. Oh, but, yeah. Oh, I don't think it's hard to find those people. I think those people uh, imagine a, a past a past America as hmm. from their own perspective as being better uh, than, you know, how it is now. And what I think, yeah, they're trying to say here is you're right there that it's the same. It's it's always been like this. Uh, we've never actually changed much of anything, and yeah, if if you're thinking of like the the America that was great, well, mm-hmm. you're you're living in a fantasy land because it never existed for for, for a bunch of people. Yeah, like Fargo seems to be articulating a lot of these arguments that are like, um, 
you, there there was this argument that was like going on in like the the 90s and even up until like just very recently um especially in like middle white america that like racism is a problem we used to have yeah. and we solved everything in the civil rights and everything's hunky dory now and i feel like this is making these arguments over and over again that that's that's not true by inviting you to you know see the parallels between now and then and like you know how much like there's been a lot of like you know obviously the times are very different in terms of style and whatnot but in terms of like what people are struggling with not so much yeah um but i don't know like i said the the to do it this much and this often and every have a have a set piece conversation in every episode um it's almost like Noah Hawley is trying to address those arguments, but it's weird because like if you don't see it, I don't think you would see it. Like I'm I'm thinking of like um if I'm at the dinner table uh with with Thanksgiving this year and I'm arguing with my uncle and this is not going to happen because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But like and you know he's going like oh this racism and it's it's all oh, it's it's colorblind and ah oh, blah blah blah. If I'd be like well you see if. <laughs> Uh, with with this mafia in the can in Kansas City in the 1950s, if like this, it's like it's a great form of an argument, but I don't know that it actually translates to the real world. But I think that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. The other thing is like there's there's like three different like monologues in the one. There's the thing that he has about the racism, but then there's also the uh, in America we have our own type of criminal, the confidence man, because America's full of dreamers and dreamers. You can fleece mm-hmm. like they, they let, they, they, they rob themselves. I thought that was really powerful too. Um, but it's also at odds with, I feel like the Lloyd cannon that gave the speech to the drug addict would not give the speech about the dreamers and how you can fleece them. It's, it's, it was, is weird for me from that perspective. Um, but anyway, he concludes his argument with asking Wef, you know, what are we going to do about this? Um, so there's another thing, like, I don't know how explicitly he's going to bring Wef into his plan or if he's going to use Wef and assume that Wef is going to be a weasel and, you you know, like essentially tie uh, a torch to his tail and send him running through his, his enemy's vineyards to, to set fire to it. Yeah, I don't it know. Seems like that the latter would be the smart play. We'll see. Uh, then he gets, uh, he, uh, he gets, he gets rid of Gaetano. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he sends, sets Gaetano free after letting him know that Josto wanted, was going to pay me to kill you essentially. Um, yeah. And this, and, you know, the, the motto of life for life kind of thing is, is showing that he's not getting in the mud with him. Right. Yeah. 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 I think. It's I think a contrast, to... right? The Italians have this life for life concept. He's not going to go there, even though he thinks that his son is dead. Like, it's a big deal. Yeah, and 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 he's going to let the all of his enemies get down into the mud and drown themselves. Is I think what's going to be the strategy here. Yeah, is that uh, you know, there's there's like four different sides there, and they're all going to shoot each other to pieces. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. And and the other thing is that he's only keeping. I thought it was also interesting that he's only keeping the stockyards. Like, hey, you can keep the trucking rats, which I don't because, like I said, I think he thinks that he's going to destroy them and take everything like whatever yeah. he's set, whatever motion thing plan he's set in motion here is going to be the the checkmate. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. Uh, any other comments or because I think I'm that's that that brings all of our business to a close here, Jim. Yeah, let's get into the feedback. Okay, uh, you can send us far, uh, feedback at Fargo at BaldMove.com um, or you can get on our forums, forums.baldmove.com to talk uh, with your fellow fans on a weekly basis. 
Killer Toast here uh, brought something to my attention. Uh, it was a thread on Far on, on the Fargo TV subreddit, Fargot V. Um, he, uh, I had a question about that painting and mm-hmm. and what it meant. You're talking about the the painting uh, in Chris Rock's office house. I, I don't know where it is. Yeah, uh, with the, the black man with the sword who's beheaded at a black man. Yes. So this is this painting is called the summary execution under the Moorish Kings of Granada. And it was uh, painted by um, this 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 particular um, Frenchman. And it was like one of this painting is considered the epitomization of what's called the Orientalist movement, which was this artistic wave in like the 17th and 18th centuries where they fetishized like Middle Eastern and Muslim culture. Like there was this um, Hmm. like intense eroticism of like the harem culture and like in in a fascination of focus, focus on the exoticness of the culture and like this, like this painting, this heightened, like, you know, they don't fuck around with courts of law. It's like the King says off with his head, off with his head. Um, But it's also like this, like um, you do this, like anytime, obviously you eroticize and um, exoticize a culture, you're intentionally othering that culture. Sure. And I thought there was some interesting discussion around that. Like, you know, um, this is about a, this is a story about what happens when people stop trying to understand each other and just kind of go with their assumptions and like lean into those. And I thought, maybe that's what they're trying to, to, to say here with that. It absolutely could be like that. If that's not the state of our world currently, I don't know what is. Right. Right. So if, if Holly's um, trying to write something relevant, uh, that, that could be a good angle. Yeah. Like, you know, like, uh, what are you, what are you looking for? You're looking for the similarities that bind us or the differences that divide us. Yeah. Um, Andy B says, I don't know if it's been brought up, but I just realized this is the first season of Fargo that doesn't have a police officer as the main protagonist for the audience to sympathize with. Um, given the strong and clear racial themes of the season, I think it makes a bit of a sense as neither the black nor the Italian citizens uh, being subjugated populations would trust the police to protect them. Mm-hmm. Um, so in season one, you obviously had uh, Deputy Molly Salverson. Season two, you had uh, Lou Salverson, her father. Uh, with her grandpa, uh, Hank Larson. And season three had Gloria Burgle, of course. I mean, I think this is definitely, like, you can make this argument, right? But on the other hand, you do have Deffy and Officer Weff, who are definitely point-of-view characters. And if you say they're not the main characters, I would ask you, who the hell is? Yeah, because- it's, it's fair. Like, Loy. Loy is, like, a number one uh, main character Loy is definitely the number one character yeah but is he the like it's this is kind of this is a much more game of thronesy season where yeah. you've got families and din- dynasties dynasties as as uh, <laughs> papa uh, uh, uh jesus christ i forgot all of my lannister l- uh, yeah. lore lannister charles dance jesus as he would say dynasties you got all this stuff and like you know uh it's it's real hard it's real hard to make your way all the way around the map of westeros sometimes and ethelreda gets pushed through the margins yeah so like you are i think you're correct but i'm not sure like how much of it's thematic because the theme makes sense and how much of it is just there's really not a central character thus far my my only Uh, real theory coming out of that is that zero is robin that's that's my only <laughs> real theory. 
Um, fair enough. Let's move on. Aaron K says, I just discovered this podcast. I think you both are great. Well, thanks, Thank Aaron. You. I like the name, too. <laughs> really interesting analysis and discussions. I've personally been enjoying the season. I like that Noah Holly tries something different with each one. Maybe not, it's not always 100% successful this season, but about 90% of the time it works for me. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm the same way. Like, I'm, I'll forgive Holly for going off road every once in a while and, and, and really jarring our ride with the, the, the rough suspension because he swings for the fences 100% of the time. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you're going to strike out when you're taking those, those, those big cuts out of the air. Um, but I prefer that. I prefer that to someone just safely, d- d- you know, delivering up mediocrity, right? Sure. Uh, Aaron continues one of the characters we haven't seen much, but someone as I've been looking out for is Ebel. The Kansas City Mafia we know in season two operates more like a corporation than a traditional criminal organization. My theory is Ebel is going to end up as one of the people who forms that uh, uh, criminal organization in season two. The first two episodes of the season, he offers Harvard money in exchange for letting them into the hospital and advises Josto to wait and be patient till they kill Harvard. The last episode, you could see that he was actually shocked and even a little sad that Doc was killed, of course. Uh, he's not as much of a hot-headed gangster like Josto and Gaetano. He even seems to want the war to end and both sides to reach some sort of truce. He's not exactly what you would call corporate, but I can see the seeds, how the seeds could be planted where he sees so much bloodshed and messes the cleanup that he wants to operate more like a business than a mafia. Uh, I think Gaetano, Calamita, Josto, and most of the Fadas will be dead at the end of the season. Evil along with Joe Bulow. Maybe some members of the previous Jewish and Irish gangs will form the Kansas City Mafia we know in season two. I do want, is there, I I guess I never thought about the remnants of like the Jewish and Irish gangs still kicking around. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like it. Um, We don't know anything about Joe Bulow in this time period, really, other than he exists. Uh, So I, I like, I don't know if he could start this whole thing himself um actually I'm, I'm pretty sure like he doesn't he gets promoted to where he's at uh somewhere along the line but yeah I, I could see like if anybody's gonna make it out of this it's gonna be the smart guys and ebel is one of the smartest on the italian side for sure yeah there might i wonder if they're trying to suggest like the Kitchen Brothers, they had those little round hats that kind of like look like some branch of Orthodox Judaism. Huh, like, yeah. is there like they're suggesting there's some kind of vestigal, you know, Rabbi Milligan influence there with Mike Milligan and the Kitchen Brothers? Uh, Maybe that that might be interesting. That might be interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I could definitely see it. But yeah, I I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know that evil makes it out. I really like it. It, yeah. Is this a tragedy? Because uh, if it is, then yeah, he doesn't make it out. Because I really want him to. Although I guess you're you're right. Like, because I think well, Loy, you know, he's got a pretty good head on his shoulders. But it would be mm-hmm. interesting if like Doctor Senator's friend is what makes it out, and they do have some kind of like this fusion gang that I keep on thinking. Like, I, I can't tell if like the Loy's going to win outright or there's going to be some kind of fusion and yeah. this talk of like remnants of the Irish and Jewish and like. That would be on, on, on it'd be an that'd be another kind of like really right on thematic thing that like the Kansas City Mafia is literally a melting pot. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like a little bit ironic too, though, because it's still a criminal organization, right? It's it says sure. kind of a lot about America. 
I don't know. Yeah. That yeah. could be real what interesting. Tommy, North Carolina. I had a half-assed thought about WEF. I agree with you both that WEF's knock uh, tick tell is clearly foreshadowing some event, maybe even a critical turn in the plot, maybe just his own demise. As Aaron pointed out, we've already seen people ventilated through a closed door. Mm-hmm. Um, but what if Wef's knock tell, uh, tick tell started after he was discharged honorably and he does it to warn the ghosts in the room that he knows they are there, that he's about to enter and to please for the love of God, go away. Whoa. Huh. I mean, he's seeing so ghosts this episode. True Detective season three blend with uh, a little bit of uh, Mr. Snowman. Um, that would be interesting. I See, I think that like you're going to. F- he talks about that he had this method that kept him safe, mm-hmm. like that he never deviated from. And I think it's something part of his method was some kind of counting thing. And it's this one little two little three little like he like, yeah. I don't I don't know. That's that kept him like uh how many paces he was going into the field and he had some kind of grid coordinate that was all mapped out the Indians around them. I don't know, but I do think that that's what we're going to find out It's as something to his mind clearing methodology methodology. Um, how that sense. relates to the five knocks. I don't know. I do like this idea that he's essentially banishing ghosts. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he, yeah, it, it calls into question. Did he see the ghost of his, his dead wife at that point or did, or his, mm. his fiance, whatever, um, or was that a flashback? Was that, yeah, I don't know. Another possibility. He actually sees her there in the room. Uh, that dovetails in with the, uh, with Tommy's half-ass prediction. He says that he thinks it'll be Wef who encounters this phantom because for whatever reason, a moment of panic or clarity or a final act, he enters a room without knocking, hmm. uh, and doesn't scare the ghost off. Okay. We'll yeah, see. They, they got you down. Right. Got you down. We got the got the got the prediction down in the books. Claim your internet points at the end of the season if, <laughs> if you're right there, Tommy. Uh, Paul says, "Hey guys, I was listening to an audiobook the other day and heard it mentioned that W or D W Bliss, the doctor that treated President Garfield after he was shot, was legally named Doctor Willard Bliss. Wow. Apparently, his parents wanted to name him after Doctor Samuel Willard, but didn't realize that Doctor Willard was the man's title and last name rather than his first and last names. <laughs> oh no. D.W. Bliss's parents were stupid. <laughs> They're real dumb. Real dumb. And yeah, look, like, look at how far he went. At the dawn of medicine, that's not like, yeah, who 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 the hell knew what a doctor was? Like that's like that's like literally in the last we haven't had doctors for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? I I don't know. I couldn't tell you when the term doctor was invented. Because before doctor, we invented doctors or they invented uh. themselves. We just had like fucking uh uh, like like healers, your, right? Well, I forget. It's um, no, it's like like your the the butcher or your barber would do a lot of this shit. Let's shit like your barber would take off a bad toe or knock out your tooth or stuff Oof. like that. Yeah, people involved like you have like sharp implements and know how to deftly use razors and whatnot and knives. Your gardeners, that your barbers, yeah, yeah, gardeners, barbers, butchers. butchers. Mm-hmm. Professional swordsmen, they're all (laughs) (laughs) need a vasectomy. You have to be Uh, a knight to take off the queen's toe, though. Yeah. So so maybe these uh, I'm being too hard on the on the bliss, the bliss family. Like they invented doctors and started calling people. And they, hey, you know, these doctors, I like I respect this doctor guy. So name him our our kid after him. (laughs) Anyway, appreciate the historical tidbit, Paul. 
Carolyn. Small detail from this week's show. When Antoon said he ate his boots or boots slash shoes and was about to eat his belt, I was thinking, wouldn't the person eat their belt before they ate their footwear? <laughs> or is a belt actually more valuable? Interested to hear your thoughts on this small pointless detail. Hmm. That's a good point. That's, I would certainly eat my belt before I ate my shoes. I mean, but what if your pants are falling down all the time? I'll eat my pants. Skinny. Fuck it. Eat your pants? Yeah. Because, yeah. like, you know, like, that, you that's can walk the order. Belt, shoes. belt, pants, shirt, overcoat, shoes. <laughs> um, that's yeah, that's I, the five thought, course meal that I'm having. <laughs> my only thought is you could run around. Uh, and away from people uh, out of danger if if you're not wearing shoes but if you got no belt and you get up to run and they just fall to your ankles and trip you hmm. I'm telling um, you eat your pants problem solved hmm. my legs don't it get cold weird. anyway did you know I, uh, so apparently this is true you can actually boil leather and eat it and get nutritional value because it is an animal product I uh, have not a that. lot yeah, it's not great, and like uh, modern tanned leather has got a lot of uh, chemicals in it that will be bad for you. But if you're if it's that or starve, mm-hmm. um, yeah, eating eating that stuff was uh, there's I, I I went down a whole rabbit hole about like what people did starvation tactics because I guess a lot of the old wallpaper used to have like paste that was essentially flour, wow, uh, and gluten. And that, like, in, in certain areas in, like, Eastern Europe, when the starvation was really bad, people were peeling the wallpaper off their walls to, like, make stews that are essentially, like, this glue soup. Like, Ugh. fuck, man. Yeah, you. it's amazing what you do when you're hungry. And you're just trying to stave off. Uh, it's like that poem that they were reading or that the uh, uh, Kipling's The Jungle where the guy is, like, you know, that's the whole, they did, like, what the bizarreness of starving in a modern city. Like, how crazy it is. Um. Moving on to Chris from Sydney, loving your work and usually agree with your breakdowns. However, I think you're missing a point on Josto doing your critiquing of him in the episode six podcast. I think a big point that you're forgetting is that he was born into this life. He inherited the life as crime uh, and being a crime boss. So it's not a mistake that he doesn't seem or feel legit. They're showing as little self-entitled spoiled brat of a kid who is now at the helm of this organization forever trying to prove that he belongs and should be respected as the boss of his family. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, I, I did the, the problem. I my only problem I have is to really be engaged in a story, you gotta have respect for both sides. You know, mm-hmm. like unless it's a farce, and Fargo can be a farce. Like, don't get me wrong. Like that's and it's been a farce already this season. Yeah. Um. You know, like if the the going back to the Game of Thrones example, if the Starks and Lannisters weren't competent, you didn't respect them. Um then there's no tension when they go to war. They square off. It's like, well, it's, it's you know, it's it's going to be <laughs> one side getting bullied, right? Yeah, the they'd be, they'd be great choice. Sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's like, I guess that's my problem is like, if I don't respect Gaetano or Josto and I have like, they're showing me that there's a lot of respect here that I should give to Loy Cannon, like, well, where is this going to go, you know? So. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly well within the Cohen's wheelhouse to do farce um, and have a bunch of characters doing really stupid stuff uh, and them pointing out how stupid it is. I, like, I could see it if that's just what they want to do this season. I guess I'm on board. And I keep and I keep coming back to Lois saying he's not just fighting this war, he's fighting a mindset. And it would be so fucking mm-hmm. Fargo for him to win and then just get rolled up by the law, you know, because there's a yeah. black man in the street shooting. And then you could see, like, you know, Mike or Rabbi Milligan 
and Satchel and Hiding able to rebuild from some kind of seed, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, half of me yeah, expected that- when he let Gaetano go, the Gaetano would like slip on his own blood and break his neck on a chair or something as yeah. he's leaving, right? Like, that's yeah. well within the, the performance envelope of this show. As he says, Mama Mia, and breaks <laughs> right. his bag. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, David says, uh, longtime club member, infrequent mailer. Love to hear from you, David. Uh, finally caught up to episode 406 as well as the podcast and want to touch on two quick things. My first take is something minor, although I totally agree that the capture uh, or the performance of or the capture of Gaetano rather was ham fisted. The fact that he would not have felt the cold air from the open window behind him is believable. His adrenaline was way up and speaking from experience, it's easy to miss those kind of details when you're that hopped up. Otherwise, I did find it odd that Cannon's people were not on hand to help with the recovery and that the shot to the back of the head wasn't a fatal it's a bit of disappointment in what is otherwise a cool set piece. Yeah, I, I, I we didn't touch on that, but I was briefly so happy when I thought his brains just got blown out. I'm uh-huh. like, what a what a twist! Halfway through the season, I'm like beside myself with this character, and Holly just blows his brains out. <laughs> Bra, oh fuck, he's still breathing. It's a good five yeah. seconds though. It's a real good five seconds. I was genuinely delighted. I mean, the that, second that's, take. That's the thing. He's not. He's not wrong about this, right? Like the adrenaline is a definite factor. Like you see all the time, and you forgive it, and you're like, you understand it, and you're like, okay, cool. When characters will get shot during a, the heat of a battle, and not even realize that they've been shot. I know it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I, I get it for sure. Yeah, it cuts both ways. Like you know, the adrenaline slowing things down and making you hyper observant and all that, versus like yeah, also yeah. flooding you with um, irrelevant information. Mm-hmm. Uh, his second take is to join in the opinion that the ghost isn't a malevolent spirit. So far, it hasn't hurt anyone. can even be interpreted as it helped Swanee, not hurt her. She did, after all, wake up. Uh, I also mm. think this is a bit of an accord with Fargo, given the news uh, or the show's intended quirkiness and liberal taking of left turns when a right turn is expected. Um, yeah, no, I, I, that's what I'm thinking. Like, it's it's a big subversion. They, this is a big, scary ghost. What if he's actually good? Um could be or benevolent sure does look menacing though yeah he does uh also <laughs> he's a white ghost are they gonna have a <laughs> kind of a they're gonna have a white ghost save the black people at the end of this season is that what we're gonna do is that what we're gonna do we're gonna have a oh, magical boy. white person be the one that's uh, i don't know i don't know good. how well that sets good point um Whitney writes in, says, so happy you're back with Fargo. I've missed listening to you both. It's weird time, however, to watch this particular season. I'm watching on Hulu the next day, uh, like most, and the subtext slash hypertext is just too real. Yeah. Uh, when Chris Rock pulls over and sees the diner club card and just shakes his head, I cried. Uh, I should say that this is written by a black American mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't say, because that's how most black Americans feel every day. It's been a hard year, and I look to this show for some funny accents and outrageous violence and comeuppance. So I just wonder how non-black Americans are viewing the season. Do you find it relentless? Even Hanzi felt like he could succeed and fight back. All his slights seem to be eventually punished, uh, like in the bar scene. Thanks for making this somewhat fun with your commentary, at least. Whitney in Philadelphia. Uh, What do you think? As a non-black person, Jim, how's the season hit? I I mean, it it hits uh on the nose for me like i i understand what they're putting down there i get it um but you know like black people in america white people in america are not a monolith um so i imagine there are a lot of white people who are looking at this scratching their heads going i don't get it 
what are they trying to say? Um, yeah. You know, I thought we had dealt Surely with all this. this yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I like uh, that actually kind of motivates me is uh, anytime I start feeling down, I'm like, well, Jesus Christ, I'm a I'm a straight white dude. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, oh, you what, got it what, easy. What, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Can I, can I give in to despair? Like what, right. what the hell, do, what the hell have I seen? You know, my, my next door neighbor is this, uh, like 73 year old former black Marine military police officer. And I can tell he's pretty conservative in his viewpoints, mm-hmm. but he's also pretty fucking fed up with some of the shit he's seen, especially with <laughs> yeah. the policing. And, you know, this, this, you know, and he worries about his kids and he worries about his grandkids and he worries about, you know, him getting older and being able to keep up with everything. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I, you know, Derek gets out of bed every morning and (laughs) goes about his business. I can't not, you know, right, right. So, uh, yeah, it'd be a sad day in America. if Black folks just give up. Like, I don't know. I may, maybe that'll galvanize us like, oh, shit. We're the, we, we can't rely on we can't rely on these people to be like dependably fighting for for rights for everybody. We got to pick up the slack, maybe. Uh, but like, it's gonna be a grim day. It's gonna be a grim day. Um, yeah, and I, I would say, I don't know. Is, is that infuriating? <laughs> is that infuriating to hear, Whitney? Yeah. <laughs> is sure. that is that make you feel good? Uh, is it is it anything? I don't know. I don't know. I got. I've got I really a... appreciate you listening to us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... If you wanted to listen more of that, because it sounds like maybe you haven't tuned in since our last uh, Fargo season, which was years ago. Uh, we've covered a few other shows that might be relevant since then, like Watchmen. Uh, maybe The Deuce. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in there that uh, we've covered that you might enjoy. On the other hand, if you're coming to television for ha-has and laughs, maybe not. Oh, yeah, you can avoid <laughs> Maybe those. not those particular shows. Right. Uh, Expanse is really cool. Escapist material. Sure. Um, I like I like that show. Um. But yeah, no, I appreciate the the comments, Whitney, and uh, I don't know, man. We'll just, we'll things have been worse, things have been better. We'll we'll get through this together. Uh, that'll do it for our feedback this episode. Fargo at baldmove.com is where you want to put those comments in. Uh, if you got anything to say, or again, the forums forums.baldmove.com is also there, twenty four hours a day, to to hear your thoughts. That will do it for this week. I honestly, so I've I've read from a lot of people, a lot of the television critics that I respect that I've seen most of the season. I think a lot of them, like Seppenwall, have seen ten out of the eleven episodes. Oh, um, that there's universally said that these last two episodes, where they've obviously kind of cobbled together to do something, uh, uh, were like the roughest, and it's it's supposed to kind of quote unquote get better. So if you've liked even these last two episodes, then mm. the back half of this season feels like it's going to be a real barn burner. Yeah. Um. I got to say, like, it's been a long time since I've been looking forward to seeing a postseason um, like interview with a showrunner as as much as I'm looking forward to seeing whoever Holly talks to after this season, because I am with child to know what the hell went on with these. Like, you know, wh- when did he decide to make a new episode? What was the thing that he had to do to make that happen? What like because it it does seem like a lot of these last two episodes could have been condensed into a single one and it would be stronger, but yeah, for sure. And they're, they're short. They're very short episodes, right? This is shorter than the last one that everybody said was so short. So, right. Right. But I I just would really love to know what the, what was going on with that because you know, that's the thing. Uh, Holly does swing for defenses and it remains to be seen whether 
um, that's that successful or not. But I just would really love to know the nuts and bolts about like when did he make the decision? How much of it was because of the the, the delay and the pandemic and the reshoots and all that stuff? There's got to yeah. be a great story there, and I'm looking forward to hearing it. Um, and if we get to do a, a Fargo wrap up pod, I, I'm hoping that uh, we can get some of that 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 word into there. Anyway. We'll be back next week for another all-new episode of Fargo. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.